At this time, our little ones, that's four years old up through fourth grade, they can be dismissed here to my left, and they will go downstairs. If you're new to this, you can meet them and pick them up after the service. First two rooms from the front hallway on the right-hand side. And as they go downstairs, they go down there to be trained up in the Word of the Lord as we are trained up in the Word of the Lord right here. It's often at this point, it's refreshing too, at this point, I'm hoping and thinking, believing, certainly you're feeling it as well, that when we get to this point in the service, this point of the feeding, you're already feeling pretty full, all right? Isn't that cool? Think about that. Uh, thinking we come here to, to be fed. We're hungry sheep looking up to be fed, and when we fix our eyes on Christ and His gospel and uh, his promises to us, man, we are fed, aren't we? And that's what just happened as we worshiped. Thank you, Jesus. We turn to Mark chapter 16, and we close uh, this morning in Mark. Our series in Mark took a little longer than we anticipated, but we wrap up now this morning. Uh, if you'll follow with me as I read chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. We see as we begin reading there in verse 1 that the Sabbath is over. And after it was over, the women bought spices to go to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body. For these women and Jesus' other followers, it was likely the least restful Sabbath they had ever experienced, right? I imagine all day they thought about the images that replayed in their minds of the crucifixion. Think of it. Even the sounds, right? Hearing him cry. Hearing others insult and mock him, seeing the soldiers pound nails into him, blood running down all over his body. Surely these images and sounds from the crucifixion haunted them throughout the night on Friday and all through the day on Saturday's Sabbath. The Sabbath to be experienced as rest is experienced instead as dread and despair, as failure and hopelessness. 
Worst Sabbath ever. For the God-man was dead in a tomb. And this morning I want to call our minds to see the unrest as a sign. A sign that tells us that in the ultimate sense there can be no rest for you and I or anyone. There can be no rest found without faith in the one who ultimately provides our Sabbath rest. What keeps you from resting this morning? What fear, anxiety, worry, pain, heartache? Think of that as we press forward. Crucifixion, death, burial, these things make it the worst Sabbath for these followers, but they were necessary in order to fulfill the Sabbath. You see, you see, in the same way Jesus' followers experienced the last Passover meal, remember that, Jesus teaching about his death and the new covenant of his blood that would be poured out and how he would serve as the final sacrifice and thereby fulfill all previous Passovers by becoming himself the Passover lamb. Likewise, the Sabbath was a shadow anticipating the coming of Christ who alone can bring and provide rest that all of us, all humanity is pining for whether we know it or not. What keeps you from resting this morning? Jesus calls us to worship. He calls us to a worship of rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Drew read it for us in our call to worship. There he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will be, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As it turns out, while his followers... Here in the text are despairing and not experiencing or did not experience Sabbath rest on the Sabbath of all things. He is securing, in the middle of that, Jesus is securing for them a true Sabbath rest. Can you this morning, certainly we see time and time again his disciples, those closest to him, those that that confessed him as Messiah, struggled, didn't they? They struggled to take him at his word. Can you this morning take him at his word when the storm is rocking and he says that he is near? Can you take him at his word this morning in your life? When the storm is rocking and and he says he is near and he calls you, hear it, to rejoice. Can you take him at his word? Philippians 4. You say, when does he say that? Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again because he had to repeat it, right? (laughs) Rejoice. He tells us, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. You see, can you take him at his word? It says he is near. They're struggling They don't know he's not dead, right? They don't know 
They go there with spices that they wasted their money on. He doesn't need to have his body anointed. As he stated, actually in chapter 14, we went through this, right? When that woman broke open that alabaster jar of, of expensive, very expensive perfume, and, and everybody was sweating it. Remember that? And, and he told them to, to leave her alone. Why? Because she had anointed his body for burial in advance. It had already been done. They wasted their money on these spices. Now, I'm not sure if Mary Magdalene and these other women were, were not aware of that event or they just wanted to honor Jesus in their own way or like many of Jesus' closer followers at this time, they are they're struggling. Right? They're, they're learning and they're listening and belief is shaky. It's shaky at best. And... and here we are, right, all the way at the end of Mark, and it does appear that, that Mark is continuing to present to us struggling disciples, even in the face of an empty tomb. How are you this morning? Can you take him at his word? What brings us to that place? I want us to think about that. What brings us to that place where we can take him at his word? What gives us what is needed to overcome the things that keep us from experiencing the rest he brings? What brings us to a place where we can obey and experience the directive he gives like Philippians 4? Telling us not to worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our request to God. And he tells us there that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. What gives us what is needed to overcome the things that keep us from experiencing this rest? From being able to hear this call to peace and know it. What clear confidence, reason, and hope we have this morning. Right? For it is here in front of us the answer to this. For he is risen. And in his beating and conquering death, he proves his power to guard our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. So while the storms are jarring us from any clear, understandable path forward, right? God is there in Christ guarding our hearts and minds so that we can have a peace that surpasses what we can't understand when the path in front of us is hard and difficult. See, they should have been anticipating But they don't know yet. They should have been anticipating life. They should have been anticipating the true Sabbath rest that he had been talking to them about. Verse 2, we see it's very early in the first day of the week. 
That unrestful Sabbath is over, only they don't know it, right? They don't know it. And as they are heading to the tomb, talking among themselves, we see there in verse 2, they're asking, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And take notice how they go without a good plan, right? They do not have a good plan. And all the type A personalities are like, why would you like start, why would you even go buy the spices unless you know about who's going to get rid of the, you know, the stone? It's in the way, right? They're just like hoping for the best, right? And I like a good plan, but often I think we can let the unknown components of an assignment of a mission keep us from action. More times in life, you and I need an attitude and a heart of faith that says, we'll see when we get there. Planning is good, okay? We all know that. But the fact remains that you and I are daily called to things where we don't know how we're going to pull it off when we get there. And we have seen throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, all the way to here, to chapter 16, where there is now a tomb... And there is no anticipation for life. Hear it. Imagine you're these ladies. There is no anticipation for life. They are going to a tomb, folks. The anticipation is for a dead body. The dead body of their friend. The dead body of their rabbi. Their good teacher. The dead body of their Messiah. The one that they have said, and we've read it, he does everything well. The one, they're they're anticipating a dead body, a dead body of the one that showed them a compassion and a mercy that has never been known or experienced in the flesh. It all came to a gruesome halt right in front of their eyes. And this is par for the course in Mark. Okay, from the very beginning when the gospel appeared in person, Jesus continued to flip everything on its head. And now from Jesus, you have his, his, his gospel message, those that follow him. And what do we see throughout Mark is that the rest he claims to bring, this rest he claims to bring creates conflict. The rest he claims to bring, that we all want, that we're pining for, that we're hoping for. What we see though Throughout Mark is that it creates conflict and pressure. And we talked about this, seeing it clearly throughout, but even more so in chapter 3. And then we're having to wrestle with whether or not we want that kind of rest. We see it, right? We see what kind of rest. It's like, wait, I don't know if I want that kind of rest, this kind of suffering, that kind of cross that we just sang about. I You see, following Jesus puts us in a constant path of resistance. It is not, in terms of this life, it is not the path of least resistance. To put your faith in Him is to volunteer to be a disciple under pressure. And we've repeated this again and again. Intense pressure makes diamonds. We've heard that 725,000 pounds of pressure per square inch makes diamonds. I don't even know what that means. I just read it. (laughs) But here's what you and I do know, right? We know what it's like to want to tap out, don't we? We know what it's like to have that 725,000 pounds 
per square inch of pressure, of circumstantial pressure, if you will, on our hearts and want to tap out before God is done. How I would have been dragging my feet if I were one of those women. They go without a plan, despairing and not knowing how they're going to pull it off when they get there, but pressing forward nonetheless. they, They want to honor, I get. They're Jesus. Even if they're weak, faith, poor memory, lack of teachability has got them believing it's over, they go anyway. As we surrender to follow Jesus, our faith in him will find us regularly in situations and conversations where it would have been much preferable, much more preferable to have had the details ahead of time. You know what I'm talking about? I probably, like many of you, wear myself out trying to prepare for situations that I know that the Lord has called me to walk through. I find myself regularly uh, trying to prepare for conversations that I know the Lord has called me to have. But church, nothing prepares us more than simply communing with the Lord. We, We need to encounter Jesus. That's what will prepare us. No book study will do it. And there's a lot of good studies out there. But I need Jesus. Certainly, this is the reason I think these women are headed on the path that they're on to the tomb. Even if their faith is shaky in this moment and there is unbelief still wrapped up in their hearts. I think it is their love and their passion and their intimacy that they had experienced with Jesus. that They just can't let go of it. And there they are, headed to the tomb as believers much most if not all of the things that God calls us to requires his movement it requires his power to go in front of us and to be with us you see whether you are single or married a college student a college student or an adult no offense I don't know if you guys caught that right whether you're still living at home or Whether you're a 4th grader or 10th grader, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are called to a path that requires His presence. It requires you you have a regular encounter with Him, that you have, uh, it requires His movement in your life. Now the truth is, in your own self-interest, and in our own self-interest, you and I can do some things, and, and we can have some success, and You know, we could get on a pretty decent track in this life, especially if we follow some godly wisdom that's outlined for us in the Word of God and and not the, the folly of this world's wisdom. But, but, no matter your station in life, you and I cannot love and serve and sacrifice. We cannot be the salt of the earth and the light of the world without the power of the Spirit. Without someone there rolling away, without the activity of God, without an encounter with God, we we need them, right? We need someone to roll away the stone. God's hand is needed. Their anxiety is high. Think of these women, please. Their anxiety is high and they are consumed with death. All the men in their life are in hiding and they're asking who will move the stone? Things that God calls us to do in his word. There are very real obstacles in front of every one of those things, church. 
Very real. We've seen it in Mark, have we heard? Very real obstacles in front of all the things that God calls us to. Not the least of those obstacles being your own flesh. And fear. And worry. And doubt. And selfishness. And like these women, we need, though, in the face of this, to be able to press forward knowing we have a responsibility and God will provide a way as we continue to step forward in faith. It's verse 4. We look there. Here they are, even as they are talking about the stone and, and, and pressing forward, shaky in their faith, I think. And even as they are talking about the stone needing to have it rolled away and how it's keeping them from this difficult, morbid task, potentially, that they have embarked on, we see that they look up there in verse 4, and they notice that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. God hand, God's hand was needed, wasn't it? Verse 5, they walk in, and they see a young man dressed in white. The fact that he is dressed in white can indicate that he is prepared for some festive formal occasion. And the scripture says they are alarmed. I'm not sure we need to explain why they're alarmed. Stone rolled away. A young man inside, Jesus not inside. The guy inside is dressed like he is at some festive party. Right? This is not a time for wearing white. This is a sackcloth and ashes time. What is going on? These women got to be wondering what on earth. And now they're met by an angel. Are you kidding? Of course they're alarmed. And then what would make you more alarmed in that moment is being told by the angelic being in the tomb, don't be alarmed. <laughs> right? It's like you want to, verse 6, he says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And here we need to listen and, and see this is a mild rebuke. Right? The angel is saying, you're looking for, it's like why? Why are you on this funeral errand? And he tells him. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. And he has them look. See? That's where they put him. He's risen. He's not here. Why? And here, another way, this question that he's putting to them serves as a mild rebuke, essentially. And we see this kind of theme in Mark, right? Why are you the living? consumed with death when the crucified one who died is now filled and consumed with life. Something, isn't it? The disciples are just struggling. They're always a step behind or more. Can you imagine what is racing through these ladies' minds? One day you're with Jesus and the next day he's crucified and dead and buried. And now you're being told he's alive. The emotion of this moment is hard to understand. And they freeze up, even though they have been prepared, actually, by Jesus himself for this very moment. 
verse 7 there, they are given instructions to go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter. It says he is going ahead. Jesus, they're told, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. What does it say? Just as he told you. And we know because we've been through Mark 14 already and we see over in Mark 14 verse 27 when Jesus instituted the new feast, the Lord's Supper, the new covenant of his blood, he told them that after he poured out his blood for them in death, then after he had risen from the dead, he told them there that he would meet them in Galilee. He's already established this. So here he has to repeat it again. And these ladies are given the task to remind the disciples of this. And Jesus had said, has said at this point numerous times, he had told them very specifically about his death and how this would all play out. Right? We see three very clear times throughout the Gospel of Mark where Jesus predicts these very events. Right? He told them even how they would go into Jerusalem and how he would be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, condemned to death, then handed over to the Gentiles. They would mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and after three days he would rise. He said it. All this was stated by Jesus very clearly, but his followers are forgetting. Can you imagine? You don't forget. Yeah, you do. Right? We can imagine, can't we? We can go, man, I see my, myself in these guys so much. Man, how I forget. And I'm on this side. And I'm on this side of it all. Oh, Lord, help. Right? His followers forgetting, despairing. Are you forgetting? And despairing? And these ladies are given the task. Go tell. Go tell. We're to go see Jesus alive in Galilee. Go tell them, verse 8. They went out and they ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Go tell. And here Mark leaves us. Mark leaves us right here. Ending the gospel of Mark in verse 8. One thing we have seen through this gospel again and again is that the disciples are made under pressure. And this, I would say, is a, an intense, high-pressure moment. The king of kings has been laid in the grave, and now his body isn't there. See, Mark begins the gospel with the preparation that John the Baptist provides calling out to the people prepare the way for the Lord make his path straight remember Mark chapter 1 and there's a quote from Isaiah 40 verse 3 Mark ends now here in chapter 16 with this call to these women to go and tell that he is risen his mission has been accomplished and if we look at Isaiah 40, verse 3, which was quoted in chapter 1 of Mark, and we move down a few verses to verse 9 in Isaiah 40, the prophet says there, Herald of good news, raise your voice loudly, raise it, do not be afraid. And I suspect that Mark had this in mind. 
And purposely bookends the, the gospel with these two ideas. Right? Mark has shown us on many occasions the disciples and those closest to Jesus not getting it. We see them fleeing in fear. And now the most immediate response from the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection from these ladies is being overwhelmed and trembling with trembling and astonishment. And they said nothing to anyone. Why? The text tells us. Because they were afraid. Yet Mark, very familiar with the prophet Isaiah, already having quoted from it in Mark chapter 1, now through these women and through this angelic being, calls on these women to what we see in Isaiah 40 verse 9. To, to go and tell, to, as Isaiah says it in chapter 40, verse 9, to raise your voice loudly, raise it, and do not be afraid. And instead of them raising their voice and speaking without fear, we see them saying nothing because of fear. Now we know that's not where these people stay. They don't stay dispersed, silent, afraid, ineffective. We do know that even after his resurrection, though, Jesus did have to rebuke them. And we also know that he still commissioned them and empowered them. And if Mark's gospel ends here in verse 8, which is where some of the earliest manuscripts conclude, we would assume that Mark's point for us is to feel the weight this morning, God's point rather for us would be to feel the weight this morning of the call of the gospel on our lives, to go and tell what are we going to do with the empty tomb, see it and go and meet the one that laid there on your behalf. That, that's the response, you see. There is a pause, I think. And even if it's just a small pause, there is a pause that Mark's, Mark gives us here. If, if, if Mark ends abruptly at verse 8, there is a pause that we see in these women that I think the Lord wants us to see. Right? A weighty decision sits right in front of them. For a moment, their fear does what? Keeps them silent. Do you know this fear? But what changes? And here it is. What changes? What snaps them out of it? Well, we see, if we turn to John 20, 18, Mary Magdalene, right? We, we see it took an imperson, a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Not just the empty tomb. The risen Christ, right? The fear they had in their heart stirred in them an uncertainty and it was not until they had a personal encounter with the risen Christ did their faith return to life. You see, causing them to raise their voice in fearless testimony as witnesses of this good news. You see... Again and again through Mark, the path, the path of faith we have seen does not take us down easy street, does it? No. There is a cost of discipleship, and we see it in this suffering servant that died on our behalf. 
There are unknowns. There are obstacles in front of us that each one of us as followers of Christ are called to navigate. But how? How will we? And what keeps us from resting and trying to figure out, right? I think what keeps us from resting that we talked about at the very beginning, what keeps us from experiencing that rest is, is trying to figure out in our lives, even if we're intent on following, it's trying to figure out our next step, right? Where do I go from here? And it's only an encounter with Jesus that will help you know what next step to take. Signs and wonders, even staring there at the empty tomb won't do it. We need to meet the resurrected Christ, right? And it's here we learn to follow in his footsteps. And this is what gives us what is needed, church, to overcome the things that keep us from experiencing the rest he brings. True rest is available. The tomb is empty. But the task here for us is to go and find the one, right, that laid there dead on our behalf and put our faith in the risen Christ. The tomb is empty. His mission is not a failure. And when we meet him, when we have that encounter, we are assured that all his promises are yes and amen, right? And that gives us a confidence in this life to, to press on. Too, too often, church, uh, we are, are living, right, someone else's testimony of faith, right? Some other author or some friend that we know who really loves Jesus, we're living, sort of attempting to live there vicariously, live out our faith vicariously through their faith. And it does not work. We have to have a personal encounter with Jesus to, to help us overcome the fear that is in front of us, to help us overcome the anxiety that tends to cripple us. We need Jesus. It is true that rest and peace can be found in Him. It is true. But we have to encounter Him. I think... There's so many things that, that cripple us when we are l attempting to live out our faith in Christ vicariously through someone else's faith. One of those things is that it keeps us silent. And fear, just among other things, has power over us. In summary, I want to read a quote here it says the resurrection does not magically dispel fear and cowardice the resurrection does not magically transform fallible human characters into faithful disciples faithful discipleship consists of following Jesus not contemplating doing so Acting courageously on his behalf, not standing on the sidelines and watching. Throughout the Gospels, Mark got the Gospel of Mark, he has warned that signs and miracles 
even an empty tomb, do not invoke faith. The same note persists at the resurrection, right? The greatest of all signs, there it is. Even the visitation of angels at the empty tomb fails to produce faith. Faith comes rather through hearing the gospel and a personal encounter with the one who was crucified and is now raised from the dead. Even at the close of the story here, the human characters fail the divine will. In his earthly ministry, Jesus commanded people to silence and they spoke. In his resurrected state, the women are commanded to speak and they flee in silence. What will we do? Will you close with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you how it points us to you and your provision for us in Christ. That we might know life that gives us rest that we are in desperate need for, God. And so easily we confess now that our hearts can go into panic mode and fear mode and worry mode. Being overwhelmed mode and scared about what the way forward is. So God, we confess that and we ask even now for your help. Lord, that we recognize that we can overcome these things, these obstacles that are before us by putting our faith in you and having a personal encounter with you and and so, God, I would ask now that, that there wouldn't be one person in this room that would leave here this morning without, without turning in, without transferring their allegiance to you. And God, and those of us in here this morning that need to be encouraged and reminded of, of the hope we have because of what you've accomplished there for us on the cross God, that we would be able to, to approach you and your throne of grace with a true confidence that that would be our experience. Certainly that's the invitation. And Lord, would we lay it down and by faith receive, receive what you have to promise us in your gospel, which is hope. A hope that gives us the strength to overcome fear. And God, will you embolden us as your disciples to, to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. It is good news. It is good news that we have that you are risen. And because of your work there on the cross, you are alive and we have access to the very throne room, to your kingdom. Lord, may we experience this life that you offer. May we know it. And may we invite others to it. Give us success as we venture out in our going and our telling. May you be honored and glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.